Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters for Thursday, September 10th. Arden Swelling here with Ben Nicholson Smith. Our producers, as always, are Christian Ryan and uh, Mike Tassoni. Ben, I need you to like tell me if um, I'm just too in the weeds of this MLB season or if things always happen this quickly. Because it just feels like every day this year feels like a week and like every week is a month. And like this year has been an eternity, as, as we all know. But like just this week, just in the last few days, we have had the Blue Jays taking two of three from the New York Yankees, who are bad now by the way, to further secure their hold on second place in the American League East. We have had an injury to the club's most productive hitter, Teoscar Hernandez, an injury to the club's second most productive hitter, Rowdy Tellez. Imagine last year saying those would be the Blue Jays' two most productive hitters with two and a half weeks left in the season. Like the trade deadline when Blue Jays made a bunch of moves and brought in Robbie Ray and Ross Stripling, Taiwan Walker. That feels like forever ago, dude. It really does. And I mean, I think that's the last time that we recorded a podcast too. So, I mean, it really, it feels like things are changing quickly. It's crazy. Like this whole year went from like four or five episodes ago, we're talking about, you know, spring training 2.0 and what's going to happen this season. Will they even play? Now it's apparent they're playing. As you said, we've already passed the trade deadline. Now it's full on into the stretch run. Before we know it, we'll be talking about the playoffs. And then, you know, depending on where this goes, like, the Jays could easily win a playoff series, at which point, okay, this starts to get real. Or they might be out in, in 48 hours, as, as you've said many times. Like, this could go really quick. So it's nice to have baseball. It's great. But yeah, this season is totally, totally different than anything we've seen. It feels different. The pacing feels different. I think I'm just as caught off guard by the pacing of it as anyone else is. Yeah, playoffs start in two and a half weeks. Like, that's not a lot of time. And if you look at the conversations that people were having around this team, like, just three weeks ago, the word playoffs didn't even enter the discussion. You know, the Fangraphs playoff odds were, like, well below 50%. Now they're up over 90%. So things are changing extremely quickly. But we are seeing a, a Blue Jays team that's going to have to go forward now without two of its most important bats, and Teoscar Hernandez and Rowdy Tellez, which, like I said, it's a crazy thing to say. But those are two guys who have been carrying this offense, who have been productive, consistent in the lineup, have made like real demonstrable changes to their plate approaches and have like made real solid improvements. And, you know, this, this like small sample of a season was always going to have these type of situations where it's like, hey, you know, I said before the year, like Teoscar Hernandez could win an MVP award if he go, you know, has a 60 game tear like he did at the end of 2019. Well, he was a legitimate MVP contender when he went down. Rowdy Tellez, like his strikeout rate plummeted, stopped swinging at crap, was hitting a bunch of homers, was, you know, having a much improved two strike approach. Like these are big losses for the Blue Jays. Whereas in 2019, if these two guys went down, it would be like, oh, okay, like they'll get by. But like in the context of this year's crew, like this is, you know, this is big stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like even set aside 2019, even if in spring training 1.0 or or spring training 2.0, if these two guys had gone down, then all right, like it's not ideal. The Jays want to take a look at them, but they were not viewed as the pillars of the offense that they really became. And it happened quickly. I mean, Teoscar got off to a good start. And even as soon as the first weekend of the season, I think he was leading or tied for the major league lead in home runs at that point, And he just kept it up. So that was incredible. With Rowdy, I think it's even happened in the course of the last, I don't know, 10 days or two weeks, like definitely since we last recorded that he has really taken his offensive game to the next level. And I think that a lot of people realized the caliber of season that he was having offensively, but no question. I mean, these guys were producing in a big way for this team. You mentioned the MVP discussion. I think it's like totally real and it won't be, he, he won't appear on ballots at this point in all likelihood, but I have a vote. I was, I'm starting to kind of like, all right, like familiarize myself with some of these candidates, right? I mean, obviously you're, you're yeah. Mike Trout's so that requires no, prep you know you know he's gonna be in a top three spot but like I don't know what about Tim Anderson like you start looking at some of these down ballot guys and Teoscar was I think rightfully inserting himself into that conversation which is pretty crazy to think about um and so it does make it a really big loss for a team that you know now you look at their batting order five through nine we were texting about this with Shy the other day it's like that's man you start looking like after the top four in the Blue Jays lineup it got it gets really thin after you know, you know your your number four hitter, Vlad Guerrero Jr., whoever it is on a given day, 
And that's a problem for this team. Yeah, you look at that lineup from Wednesday night in the uh, the series finale against the Yankees. Look, the top's not so bad. Kevin Biggio leading off, Randall Grichuk in the in the two hole, Travis Shaw hitting third, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. batting cleanup. But as you said, there is then a cliff at number five where you go down to Joe Panic, Jonathan VR, Caleb Joseph hitting seventh, Derek Fisher, and Jonathan Davis. And like credit to Joe Panic, who has been having great plate appearances over the last couple of weeks, but. Um, you know, Joe Panic fifth hitter in a, you know, competitive MLB lineup, like in the postseason, it, you know, and look, the Blue Jays were without Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in that game. Like he had a, you know, a day off just to kind of get him off of his feet. And like, yeah, you know, at the end of, you know, 28 games and 27 days, whatever the, the number was, like, let's not risk another injury to a key piece. So you add Lourdes to that and it lengthens it out a bit, but still it's, it gets pretty thin in the bottom half of that batting order. It doesn't seem like Teoscar Hernandez or Rowdy Tellers are going to be back anytime soon. I mean, you know, maybe Teoscar for the playoffs, but even that's a little dicey with an oblique injury in the playoffs starting in two and a half weeks. So, like, in my opinion, the Blue Jays need to add to this lineup. Like, they need to add some more thump. Like, this is going to catch up to them, you know, having this lineup and, and having the bottom half of it not be as good as you'd like it to be, I guess. But I'm not so sure, like, where that addition really comes from for that club right now it's tricky right and you can only count on so many breakout seasons in the course of one year and i feel like the jays have kind of already had their <laughs> share of them you know not to not to put a limitation on on the potential of these guys because you never know but Derek fisher is actually kind of playing well um so maybe he's that guy and he's obviously showing the ability to hit for some power and uh, to, to draw a good plate appearance. Um, so that's, that's a good thing for the Jays, but you're not going to bank on, on Derek Fisher being that guy. I, I think, you know, you can see flashes of it from Joe panic, but realistically he's probably a 700 OPS guy. They continually have gotten little to no offense from their catchers. I mean, I know Caleb Joseph hit that one home run and, and Jansen to his credit, huge grand slam in one of those games against the Yankees. And a drive. The Blue Jays have blown it open in the sixth. An absolute no doubter to left center field. The Blue but Jays by and large, that position has been a black hole for the Blue Jays this year, offensively speaking. So I don't know necessarily that the, the bottom of the order is going to look great at any point this season. But the return of Bo Bichette, I mean, that's, that's going to be huge. And I think as we record this on Thursday... The expectation in my mind would be that he returns sometime this weekend. I think if he doesn't return this weekend, then that something's gone wrong in all likelihood, just given the timeline that the Jays are on. So that's a big bat. That lengthens the order a little bit. But they're still in a position, even with Bichette back, that they're probably using Travis Shaw every day. They're probably using Jonathan VR every day. Joe Panic most days. And that's really not ideal. I mean... You know, this is a bit of a sidebar, but VR has been thoroughly unimpressive to me as a player. I think Travis Shaw has not hit as well as the Blue Jays probably would have liked. Said some flashes, but hasn't put it together. They run the risk of overexposing some guys. Yeah, VR's reputation precedes them. <laughs> yeah. Were you saying last time that someone told you the quote was, he's <laughs> annoying? Right. And at, at the time, I was like, I don't know, like, is this, you know, a compliment or an insult? <laughs> I think I know which way I would read it now. Yeah, no, he's a, a frustrating player to watch, I, I would imagine. We even saw, you know, Charlie, who like, it takes a lot for like Charlie to get kind of fired up with his players. And we saw him in the dugout in, I think it was Wednesday night's game after VR didn't run out, uh, you know, a pot fly or something, go over and deliver like about as stern of a message as as we're going to see Charlie deliver to a player in games. So you can tell that, you know, yeah, the, you know, the, his frustrations are, are catching up to him a little bit with, uh, with watching VR. But like, you're right. Catching is a position where, you know, you take what offense you can get, right? Like, you know, I think the, I'm sure that I don't have in front of me, the league average OPS for a catcher has got to be, you know, high 600s, right? Like it's not big, but the Blue Jays have even been way below that, you know, like it's a little under the radar, but like Danny Jansen hasn't had the season that he would want to, that the Blue Jays would have wanted him to, you know, and this is like a young guy who, you know, you're kind of counting on to be part of this core going forward. And now the Blue Jays have some question marks at that 
position. Reese McGuire, when he was optioned, had the lowest on base percentage in baseball, and he had committed three errors behind the plate. And there, you know, I, I was I remember doing the I did the hit on the day that this happened. Uh, so this has probably changed since then. But on the day that he was optioned, there were like 19 teams in MLB that didn't have three errors from their catchers. And Reese McGuire had three on his own. And it was, you know, cost in the Blue Jays runs. And in one case, when he threw a ball into center field, I think it was in the Red Sox series, it like cost them a game. So that's not good. And you just look even on this 40-man roster for like, okay, who are you going to add? And like, what are you going to do to add some thump to this lineup or just to add a new position player look? Yeah, Bobachek coming back from injury, sure. That'll be great. But also you manage that carefully. Like if he is not, 100% on Friday like just be careful like don't rush anything here a setback for Boba Shet right now could be the season and so all of a sudden like just making sure that his entry point back to like playing every day and you know being the guy that he was and playing a defensively demanding position all of a sudden that takes on a lot more importance because you don't want to screw that up but on this 40-man roster every position player except for Reese McGuire is now currently on the active roster after Billy McKinney was added Reese McGuire is the only guy on the 40 man wow. as a position player who's not on. So this, like, wow. even if you want to improve from within from the 40, it's not there. Like it's just not an improvement there. So you kind of have to look beyond the 40 and yesterday, Wednesday, when we found out the, you know, what, what Rowdy's MRI had shown, this is coming back, you know, on the heels of Teoscar Hernandez being out. That was the first day where I like very seriously considered Alejandro Kirk and I like I it was that was kind of like I've I've been really on the fence about it like for a while but that was a day that kind of like pushed me to one side of the fence with Kirk when I was like that might be really the only way that you're gonna add some thump to to this lineup right now is if you like take a you know 21 year old kid who's never played above (laughs) high a but clearly a guy who you know has a capable bat and you know, in, in live BPs against Ken Giles this past week has been hitting liners off of him. And like Giles isn't himself right now, I'm sure. And like, isn't of the standard that we've seen, you know, when he's been closing up games for this club over the last year and a half. But, you know, the, I don't know where else you are finding like a actual legitimate influence and impact on this lineup offensively. There's no shot at it. I mean, even like free agency and, you know, people see Justin Smoke's name you know, pop up not that he would have been eligible for the playoffs, not that he was having a good year, but it's like, even then, and I don't think they ever got close to having serious discussions with smoke who's now a giant, but there's not much in free agency. So you really are limited in terms of what you can do. Obviously the trade deadline has passed. So it is internal. I think the Kirk idea is intriguing. Like, I guess there are clear pros and cons here and I'm interested to hear like where you mentioned being on the fence, like where you kind of land on this. But for me, it's, it's almost easier to see like, and I want to watch Alejandro Kirk. So I hope just for pure entertainment purposes that they call him up and he hits home runs from both sides of the plate and, and, and fans get to love him because he's, he's going to be a fan favorite. That would be by far my preferred option. But I find it when you're looking at it objectively, I find it easier to come up with the arguments against promoting Kirk than the arguments for in a sense. So, and those would be 21 year old catchers never played about able, as you said. So that's a big leap and you're putting him in a position where it's like, he's supposed to be the savior of this offense and he's, you know, all he's done is face some live PPs. So that would be the one thing. And then secondly, you're locking up a 40 man spot, which now isn't an issue because you have guys who can DFA, but you know, in the course of the off season, we only got 40 of those, and, and we saw in, the, in last winter, for example, the Jays used one of those spots to claim Anthony Bass, so, and now he's a big part of their bullpen. So there is value in keeping that spot open over the course of the offseason. You can do some different things, claim a guy on waivers, take a look at him in spring training. Now, that's all future-oriented. So there is something to be said for winning in the present, and I guess it comes down to whether you assess Kirk as a guy who can help you do that. The 40-man is tight right now after you grab Sterling and, uh, and Robbie Ray and, excuse me, Stripling, and uh, Robbie Ray and uh, Taiwan Walker, right? So those are like three 40-man spots that you had to use up. I mean, if you know Rowdy Tellez isn't going to be with you again for the rest of the year, you could move him to the 45, probably move Wilmer Font 
to the 45, like, yep. you know, with the shin contusion, like he, he, maybe he can get back a pitch for the playoffs, but is he really going to be on your playoff roster anyway? Right. Probably not, you know, giving up a ton of hard contact, like not great results. You move him to the 45 and he gets to, you know, collect his big league pay and, and everybody's happy, right? You could make the room, I think. The argument against Alejandro Kirk is like obvious, right? 21 years old, hasn't played above a ball, hasn't played like a game like a live professional game in like 13 months, yeah. 14 months, right? So it goes against everything that the Blue Jays like to do with their top prospects, right? Like that's the entry point is those those factors. And plus, here's the pressure of like, we're adding you because you're going to hit for us, right? Like we need you to hit. We need someone to hit. You got to hit now against Major League Pitching, which you've never faced. And you're not in a rhythm and you're not in a good routine. I suppose the counter argument to that would be, do you want to win or not? And are you going to win with the proven commodities that you have now, which like Joe Panic's career is like, you know, pretty proven. Like we, we've seen what he is. Jonathan VR's career, like pretty proven, right? Like, you know, we mentioned how like this lineup just is not very deep without two of its top hitters anymore. Like I, I questioned the Kirk thing when you had Hernandez and, and Rowdy and like Bo was coming back and you're thinking like, all right, you know, the lineup's fine. But without Teoscar and Rowdy, like you just lose so much thump. It's not unprecedented in MLB to do something like this would be my other argument. You can look to the San Diego Padres and you can look to Luis Campusano, right? And that is a very similar guy. That is a 21-year-old catcher, designated hitter, had never played above high A this season. The Padres called him up and he hit a home run in his first game and then he got hurt. So it's like disaster scenario, right? But the Padres made that move. So it's not like this is not unprecedented across MLB. It's not like, you know, the Blue Jays would be this front office like, wow, I can't believe they did this. Other teams that are going for it are doing things like this with top prospects. I don't think it's going to happen because I just like don't think the Blue Jays front office operates that way. And I think that they, you know, as, as you said, like they are going to find so many more reasons not to do it than the reasons to do it. And there is uh, a bit of a a deadline with it coming up because per the operations manual, September 15th is the deadline for people to be added to the 40-man and be playoff eligible. So as we sit here today on September 10th, there's basically, there's five days. Either this is going to happen or it's not. But, you know, the the inertia of this is that, like, the longer that it doesn't happen is the less likely it's going to happen, in my opinion. So even the fact that it hasn't happened yet kind of indicates it's not going to happen going forward. But I mean, Thursday, you know, Wednesday was the first day where I was kind of like, maybe this is what they're going to do. When you look at the alternatives and you look at the other options, like to me, like Alejandro Kirk might give you the, the best chance of actually adding some thump to this lineup. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, if you're comparing him to, you know, what he might eventually be, or if you're comparing him to JT Real Mudo, I mean, of course he's going to, he's not, he's not like the idealized version of Alejandro Kirk yet, but that's not really a fair comparison. Really, you have to compare him to who else you have on the roster, on the bench on a given day. And it's pretty easy to imagine a situation in a game where let's say Danny Jansen, who is at the plate and you're looking for a pinch hit option. You've got Caleb Joseph, Jonathan Davis, and maybe Joe Panic on the bench. Could Kirk be a better option than those guys? You know, or if it's you know, Joe Panic facing a really tough lefty and you've got that same kind of assortment of players on the bench, could Kirk be a better option? I mean, at the same time, if he's facing a tough lefty, like let's say it's a Roldis Chapman, for example, then you're going to put Alejandro Kirk in against a Roldis Chapman and expect results. So it is this give and take where it's like, I, I know, I mean, at some point you just have to prove it and you have to test these guys. This yep. is not the ideal way to test anyone, but... I can see your point about how you know it could be an upgrade. Now, it's not to say that it would be an upgrade, but the Jays bench, the back of the Jays bench right now is pretty thin. So you can imagine a world where he would be a better hitter than those guys. Yeah, there's like a million outcomes where it's a disaster, right? Where <laughs> he like strikes out, uh, you know, a million times, or yeah. hey, he has a really good debut in his first game, then like Campusano, he gets hurt, right? <laughs> like, and then you know, and then it's like, wow, great, like really glad we started that service clock. You know, um, there's way more reasons 
not to do it. But, you know, the tendency to be really precious with your prospects sometimes is kind of like, you know, AJ Cole was a top 100 prospect, you know, like Anthony Alford was a top prospect, right? There's like, you know, there's a million cases. And like, in a way, that's arguing against myself because I'm saying, well, he might be bad. (laughs) And it's like, well, then why? What? He's not going to help if he's bad, right? So, you know, that's, is not a great argument, but like, I just think with, you know, compared to the alternatives with the Blue Jays injury situation right now, even in that like game on Wednesday when uh, Caleb Joseph ran into, uh, I think it was Voight playing first base for the Yankees and they had this like really awkward collision and Joseph stayed down. I was like, wow, the universe is really trying to will this into existence right now. But like if Caleb Joseph went down, um, you know, in Friday's game against the Mets, I still bet you the Blue Jays would just bring Reese McGuire back. Man, yeah, it's, yeah. No, it, it's it, it's conceivable, even though Maguire showed so little offensively in the time that he was up with the team. It's really reinforcing that what we saw from him last year is you know not who Reese Maguire is offensively, and I think we knew that at the time, but certainly that's been reinforced in the last little while. I don't think they'll do it. I don't think they'll do it. I, I think for my entertainment's sake, I would like to see yes. it. I, I'm not totally convinced that he would be an offensive upgrade even over you know, a Jonathan Davis or a Caleb Joseph off the bench. But he might be. And it would definitely be a lot of fun to watch that unfold. Yeah, you could fit him on with two other catchers as well. Like, you, look, you have DH at bats and first base at bats yep. going forward, right? So you can like you can have Vlad play more first base than he has, and DH is wide open. He could just use Kirk to hit. Like, he doesn't even need to really be in behind the plate if you're concerned defensively. That, you know, the game calling and like, and that's an important part of it, right? Like, I'm not calling Alejandro Kirk up to like play catcher every day because it's game calling in the major leagues is hard, man. Handling a pitching staff is difficult. So, you know, I, I would think it would be more so those DH at-bats that are now being vacated with Rowdy Tellez likely being out for, for the rest of the year, but it's probably not going to happen. Well, they definitely have at-bats to go around. There is no question about that. I mean, the, when you look at, at the state of the lineup right now, there would be no issue finding reps for, for a guy like Kirk and getting him in there. So I, I think... Yeah, in all likelihood, we're looking at this offense, and and this is what they have. So it's it's more so going to come down to you know can Bichette come back and can he be that guy that he was for the first few weeks of the season? And they're going to need their remaining guys to stay healthy. You know maybe that means working in some more off days for them. I know they've they've done that. I think you have to keep doing that. I know it frustrates some fans. I think it's the right thing to do. You have to keep these guys healthy because they're not in a position where they can afford any more injuries. Yeah, it, it was the right thing to do over the last week, especially as they were like wrapping up that, you know, 20 games, 27 days. Like you saw the toll, right? Like Teoscar Hernandez, it's a soft tissue injury, right? Like, you know, Rowdy Tellez takes a weird step and his knee goes out, right? Like these things are like related to the workload and to the toll and how much these guys have been playing. So, you know, I know people were, you know, a little upset that Lourdes Gurriel Jr. wasn't in the lineup on Wednesday. And I was like, hey, if there is any reason that that guy needs a day off, give him the day off because losing another like good hitter in this lineup is going to be really really bad so you know i think we'll see it similar going forward maybe not to the same degree like the standings are going to say something about it right like the yankees continue to fade i doubt the blue jays are catching the rays but i don't know you really shouldn't say anything in this season because like i don't know i doubted the blue jays were gonna be a playoff team at all this year and i doubted the blue jays would catch the yankees for second in the division so who knows what's gonna happen maybe the blue jays will win the east but you know i think that if the standings continue to kind of you know solidify the way that they have been so far yeah the blue jays can be a bit more cautious with it but they lose five in a row and the yankees surge and all of a sudden it's like you're you know competing with detroit again for you know eighth place in the american league then it's like, okay, now everybody's got to play. So I do think that like the results in the standings is going to say a lot, you would hope, in, in you know, how, how much players are, are playing, how many rest days they have down the stretch. Totally agree. I mean, if, if you run into a situation where the playoff berth starts to become perilous, then you have to change the way that you're managing. On a lot of levels, I think that it means fewer off days for guys. It might mean going to certain relievers more often. You definitely have to be more aggressive in that situation. Thankfully for the Blue Jays, that doesn't appear to be where they are. And, you know, I don't know where you land on this, Arden. When I look at the difference between, you know, being the number five seed and the number seven seed or eight seed or even winning the division, 
I don't really see the incentive. And this is part of the yeah. problem with the structure more generally, right? If you were to extend it beyond this year, and, and part of the reason the teams like the Dodgers and Yankees didn't really do much at the trade deadline, but it's like, I don't see what the incentive is to really, you know, go all out just so you can be the five seed. Like, I, 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 am I missing something there? No, with a three-game first round, like, objectively bad teams win three-game series all the time. All the time. <laughs> Which is why I kind of wish the MLB went with the let the top four pick their opponent thing. Or I guess it would be only be the top three who pick it, and then the fourth would be stuck right. with whoever was left. I liked that idea. Of course, Especially yeah. in a, like, three-game series setup. Like, you might as well right yeah you know if you finish um yeah first in the american league you still got to win a three-game series it's in your home ballpark which like great but you don't get to pick your opponent like you don't know who's coming in if they come in they're hot if you run into you know like the blue jays might go into wherever they're going hunjin ryu shoves uh and taiwan walker shows up and has his best start of the year and all of a sudden it's like oh crap so yeah i i would have preferred that they went that route with the pick your opponent thing that would have like given a bit more incentive to those top four teams just think about like if this was a reality show like do you ever watch those like really bad reality shows where it's like you know they're they're trying to scale some building or accomplish some task and they would have people like choose one another within the show is a way to create intrigue and you know it's it's kind of obvious when they do it within the show like why they're doing it and it doesn't necessarily like land all the time but i think in major league baseball like if they were to take that turn toward being a bit more of a reality show which like let's face it they're entertainment too like they're they're competing along with everything else to try to entertain people then and it literally could be a show where you're drafting your opponents and the gm has to announce his pick and justify it like i think it would be fun I think it actually would be kind of fun if you're going to have this this type of a you know eight teams make it per league. Then I can see the case for that. Yeah, like if you're the Dodgers, do you do you select the Giants? You know, right? Like, like you know, assume the like the Rays. You know, yep. win the American League. Like, would they take the Yankees, who are like fading bad and not playing good baseball? That would seem like a strange decision. Right, like just on paper, not knowing like you know how teams have been playing. If like you're gonna take the Yankees, like that's a really good club. Like you're gonna run into Garrett Cole and like who knows. But then also, it's they're playing. They're not playing well, and they don't look good. Absolutely, they they don't look good at all. And and even right down to some of the players that they're they're giving reps to at this point. But I mean, even if you think about it as a reward for the teams, then it just gives that team a little bit of extra leverage to make their own decisions. So then the Rays actually get a bit more of a prize because if if they want the eight seed, great. If they want to play the two seed for whatever reason, they can make that choice. So it actually, like beyond the entertainment factor, it actually does provide some sort of incentive for the teams that finish atop their league. No doubt. Let's step away. But when we come back, there is uh, plenty of pitching matters to discuss. So we continue on at the letters. All right, so Ben, let's go to the playoffs, and it's a three-game series. And uh, let's say, you know, the Blue Jays. Let's take a look at it right now. Right now, the Blue Jays would be playing Cleveland. So yeah, perfect. Blue Jays are they're going to Cleveland. They're they're going to play that team in the playoffs. Three-game series. Hunjin Ryu starting game one. Obviously, hopefully, you've been able to line it up right. And you know, the the way that the schedule is played out, you're able to not pitch them in that final uh, series of the season. Who starts game two for you? Well. I think Taiwan Walker would start game two. And I would have the bullpen ready by, you know, the second inning. The, you know, not necessarily going to warm guys up for the first, but I'd have guys like make sure you, you know, you, you're fueled up on coffee. Don't get too comfortable there in the bullpen because we might be calling on you in the second or third inning. Like basically, if he has a night like he did against the Yankees where his command just wasn't there then you got to make a move. You're, you're pulling him and you're going to the bullpen and just relying on, on those bullpen arms. What about you? Like I'm going to jump into the deep end of like the way the Blue Jays are constructing their pitching staff and the way mm-hmm. that they're getting outs this year. And I'm going to like open with Julian Merriweather. Yeah. Just as like yeah. hilarious against Cleveland, right? But yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. for, for, you know, I'm hoping for six outs, right? If he yeah. only gets me five and I have to bring in like Ryan Brocky to get a tough lefty, that's okay. I'm opening with Julian Merriweather and then I'm going to like either if Thomas Hatch matches up better or if like Anthony Kay's stuff plays really well against Cleveland's tendencies and their swing planes 
And I am like Milwaukee Brewers in my way through that second game. And I am keeping Taiwan Walker in my back pocket as my game three starter in case things don't go well for me. And this is also based off of in this like world, I'm assuming the Blue Jays won game one. If the Blue Jays lose game Mm -hmm. one, it's like throw your best stuff out there in game three. If Taiwan Walker is your best chance at winning by your own internal like data and everything else, throw them out there, right? I'm yep. not holding anything back for game two, but I would, if they won game one, I would try to like bullpen my way through game two and then have Taiwan Walker in my back pocket for game three. If you win both the first two games, you might be starting another series like within yeah. a couple of days. I might want Taiwan Walker to start the first game of that series. Yep. And I know that like you should always try to win the game that's in front of you and you should never really like manage for tomorrow. Right. But I think that with the way the Blue Jays pitching staff is constructed, that is the way that I would do it. Interesting. I wonder, like, I, I'm almost tempted. So I'm, I'm like, pretty convinced by what you're saying there with Merriweather over Walker. But I, I almost wonder if I would be more likely to do that if they lose game one as opposed to winning it. I mean, if they won game one, you might be kind of tempted to go with Walker and just, you know, see what happens, push your luck a little bit. Whereas if they lose... If they're in an elimination game, I just think Merriweather's stuff is better. And I think hitters are responding in a way that really reaffirms that and backs that up. And so I think Merriweather is the better pitcher in a short burst. Now, he's not going to give you five or six or seven innings in the same way that Walker might. So there's a difference there. But in a short burst, I think Merriweather has the more electric stuff. So if they're facing elimination, I would, I, I'm convinced by, by your Merriweather reasoning, I would actually go to him if they're down one nothing. Can you imagine like two innings of Merriweather? And it's always easy to draw this stuff up in your head, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. When the game starts. But two innings of Merriweather and then like three innings of Hatch or I don't know, like two, two and a third of Hatch and like an inning and two thirds of Rocky and then like an inning of Nate Pearson. Yeah. Who, by the way, coming back in relief, like I could not be more excited to see Nate Pearson in a one inning burst. Like I thought that we were never going to see this, right? Yeah. That Nate Pearson was just going to be a starting pitcher going forward. And he was going to have to look at starter. You got to keep something in the tank. You don't really go max effort. Like for Nate, that's sitting nearly like 98, you know, touching 99 and a hundred Nate Pearson in a one inning burst could be crazy. Like the last time Nate Pearson did that at the Arizona fall league all-star game a couple years ago, he threw one Oh four. So Nate Pearson in a one inning burst this year, if he's healthy and if he's just going max effort and airing it out, which I think he will be, we might see some crazy stuff in that situation. So, you know, you should never look forward to anything in the year 2020, but part of me is like really kind of looking forward to that. Oh yeah. It is one of those things, like even the scenario that you outlined, right? It's a really be careful what you wish for situation because you know, you're lining up Ryu. Okay, great. Well, guess who Cleveland has in that situation? They've got Shane Bieber who's probably going to win the Cy Young. And then game two, you know, it's not going to be a bullpen game for them. It's going to be Zach Plesak or Carlos Carrasco or, you know, like Savali. Like they have so many guys that even after trading Clevenger and Bauer, they have so many really good starting pitchers. That's a scary team to face in the playoffs. Not offensively, but just from a pitching standpoint, even more so than some of the other playoff teams. Like I, I think Cleveland could be really scary. Taiwan Walker starts game two for you. Does he see the lineup a third time? I mean, no way. No <laughs> way. There's no chance. No starter other than Ryu in the playoffs should face a lineup a third time. Like, no way. Tanner Roark disagrees with you. <laughs> well, yeah, but Tanner Roark's not managing a Major League Baseball team. And I appreciate, I, I honestly, I, I, I really, seriously, I appreciate Tanner Roark's thoughts and mm-hmm. his perspective. And like, we always say this, and it's true, I appreciate when athletes are honest with their perspective. And yes. Tanner Roark was absolutely forthright and honest when it came to his views on pitching. And I actually think, man, when you're looking ahead to 2021, you're looking at next year, he's, he's right. Like you cannot be too cute with managing a pitching staff when you're trying to grind through 162 games. It is not a good idea. You need him going out there and shoot. Well, shoemakers are free agent, but you need your starting staff to eat innings. And he has made a career of that and he provides real value, but it's just right now at this point in time, it's not what the Jays need him to do. Yeah, there are so many reasons why uh, this season in particular we have seen across baseball. It's not just the Blue Jays. Across baseball, teams very reticent to let starters, you know, see a third time through the order. And like part of it is 2020 context, right? Part of it is 
shortened season. Part of it is shortened lead up to the season. So you do want to be really careful with like durability. Part of it is expanded rosters, right? So you got, you know, these like 10, 11 man bullpens. And so you have the options of more guys to go to shortened season. You don't necessarily need to save that bullpen as much as you would in prior years. Part of it is just the context of baseball in the last few seasons, man. This is something, this is a trend that has, they say it last time, like nobody's yeah. going to give you a Sabre award for saying you yeah. shouldn't let a starting pitcher <laughs> face line up a third time. Like we've yeah. known this for a very long time. Like the stats are very clear when you just look at it MLB wide. Batting averages go up, slugging percentages, ISO, for, runs, ERA, everything, man. Like every weighted on base, everything goes up the third time through. It makes sense. A pitcher is fatigued. He's now at this point faced 18 batters, right? And if that's, you know, three, four pitches per plate appearance somewhere in there, even if you are cruising along, like you've still thrown 70, 80 pitches, man. Like you're still fatigued. You've been up and down a bunch of times. Your adrenaline's gone down. Like your energy stores are down. You're probably not quite as crisp and effective as you once were. Like it's so rare to have like the Justin Verlanders of this world who get stronger as the game goes on. Like you know, if every pitcher could do that, every pitcher would. The hitters have seen you. Like they've seen your stuff now twice. So they have a good idea of how it's performing on the day. And they've been not only like seeing it, but they've been watching, I guess they don't do this this year actually, but they've been watching video on you in previous years of the previous plate appearances. So they kind of know like what your stuff looks like. And they're able to kind of make the adjustments of like, oh, hey, when I got the fastball in my first plate appearance, like I was just under it. Let me just kind of change my plane a little bit and let me make that little tweak. That's why guys kind of get barreled the third time through. Like it's obvious. I appreciate Tanner O'Rourke's comments just like you do because, yeah, I want athletes to be honest and I want them to be forthright. But, you know, the Blue Jays have an incredibly strong case for what they're doing this year. In a lot of ways, they've kind of constructed their roster so that they, you know, you don't have starting pitchers facing a lineup the third time through with the, the hatches and the Ks of this world and Merriweather and Barucky, like all these guys who would have made the AAA pitching staff, the AAA starting rotation um, in a normal season who wouldn't even be here right? Which speaks to your point of during a 162 game season, things aren't going to go this way. Like Tanner Roark will be the guy who he has been throughout his career, who's very valuable to a pitching staff in that he like regularly can give you five to seven league average innings, right? He can regularly eat up innings. He's very valuable in a 162 game season. In this 60 game one with expanded rosters, it is different. So I feel like Tanner probably understands that. Like, I think he just wanted to kind of vent a little bit. 20 games, 27 days. Like, everybody's upset and tired and angry. Like, it's just, you know, everybody needs a little break from baseball. It's been a lot of baseball. So, I feel like he understands that. But, you know, it, the case is pretty clear for why the Blue Jays and most MLB is doing this. Totally. And I think if someone came to me, you know, if one of our bosses at Sportsnet was like, hey, Ben, like, different year, like, our game stories this year are going to be 250 words. And I'm like, well, I'm kind of used to writing like a bit more than that. Like I'd really like to have the chance to explore, tease out some different ideas and maybe offer a bit more, you know, perspective or context or whatever it is. If our bosses just said like, no, like that's it. We only want you for 300 words. That's all we need from you. It would be jarring. It would require a different approach to how I write. And it would definitely... Um, it would be difficult, I think. So I can understand that. But at the same time, the Blue Jays value what Tanner Roark brings. That's why they paid him $24 million and signed him for two years. Like they very much do value that. It's just right now they don't need it. Yeah. And like, here's the thing. Roark's been allowed to face the uh, a lineup the third time earlier this season. It didn't go well. <laughs> Came up a bunch of hits and runs. And had to be like bailed out of innings. Like he's had that opportunity this year. It didn't go very well for him. The Blue Jays in general, even while they are like a team that lets, you know, sees the third time through like the least in MLB, they've still gone crushed anytime that it has happened. Blue Jays pitchers, starting pitchers, third time through an order this year have a 10-5-3 ERA. It's only 19 and two-thirds innings, but still, that's a league-leading ERA. Batting average, 359, leads the league. OBP, 422, leads the league. Weigh it on base. 449 leads the league leads wow. baseball not just league baseball yeah. so like even like they, why, why? <laughs> if yeah. you're the blue jays if you're charlie montoyo and pete walker you've tried it and you've yeah. seen that this does not go well your front office doesn't want to do it your analytics folks don't want to do it you got all these arms in the bullpen that you you can use i mean you're just trying to put pitchers in the best situation to be successful 
right? Like, you know, and, and I'm sure that is the way that Charlie and Pete are framing it. It's not we're keeping you away from certain things. It's we're putting you in certain things where you can do well. As I like wrote and we talked about like this, you know, the Blue Jays starters not getting deep into games. A lot of people were upset about it. It's not a bug. That is the feature of this pitching staff has been constructed that way. That's what's going to happen going forwards. And as we were talking about earlier, we get to the postseason. I would not be surprised if we see one of those kind of funky quote unquote bullpen games where the Blue Jays kind of, you know, fin- you know, use several pitchers to get through their, their 27 outs. Yeah, I like the idea, especially like in that first series when you're going to face, I mean, game two will be either a, an elimination game or a must win game. Someone will have to win that game. So you're talking about leverage from the very beginning. It's not a sustainable strategy if you're doing this, even for a seven-game series. I don't think you, you can do it. But for a wild-card game, I mean, it's almost, the, it's almost the default to have a bullpen game for the wild-card yeah. game unless you happen to have an ace lined up, and for good reason. And this is only a really you know, a, a small step away from a, a wild-card game. So you know, the more we talk about this, I, I really don't think... If, if the Jays are down one nothing. Like yeah. I don't think you start Shoemaker. I don't think you start Roark. I don't think you start Walker. I think it should be a bullpen game. I actually, I think that's maybe if you're up one nothing, you roll the dice on a starter, a traditional starter. If not, then if you're down one nothing, then to me, I would go bullpen game. And it does, you know, it raises a question for a lot of these pitchers, like a Chase Anderson or Tanner Roark or Matt Shoemaker or Taiwan Walker. I mean, what's their role? Are they just there to pitch if the Jays are up for or down for? I mean, considering their you know level of expertise and experience and pay in a lot of cases it it feels a little incongruent i'm not saying that's a reason not to do it but i I don't know exactly what the rule would be in a shortened series but you know that's probably getting ahead of ourselves a little bit well and what is their expectation going into their outings right and like how do they work in between their outings right so like you know and and tanner kind of made that point to us last night of like well you know when i go out there like i don't really no, <laughs> like I, I don't know that I'm not going to face the lineup the third time. Like, I don't know if I should like be more aggressive early on or hold more back. Like when I see the third, uh, like the leadoff hitter coming to the batter's box third time, like as he said, it's questionable as to whether I'm going to get to face him or not. I could understand how that would be disruptive to a pitcher's routine, and particularly like between starts. You imagine guys like like Hatch and Baraki and Merriweather, guys who have been you know starting pitchers their entire lives. Like they're having to you know adapt to completely new routines. Like not certain how often they're going to pitch. Changes how you lift in between, how you stretch. You know when you throw sides, like what you work on, like your recovery, like all all these things. Right, guys who are used to an every five days or every six days type of thing. Now it's like, hey, you know, uh, Anthony Kay, you might be pitching like every other day or every third day or something like that. I understand that is like an adjustment, but this this season of all seasons has to be treated, and especially from this point forward, as if it's the playoffs already. And it's just like, hey, you might be called up on. Like you, you, you might be going in. You know, like you, you need to be ready to go in. And when you go in, your focus just needs to be get outs and like get outs and be aggressive as long as possible until we take you out of there like just go in and get dudes out like that that has to be the the approach now like we've seen it in the playoffs in the past and pitchers have spoken about it of like yeah you know i put myself aside and like i you know claim kershaw pitch and relief you know or whatever right or like yeah kenley jansen i'll come in and get like you know <laughs> eight outs yeah <laughs> save or something right like you kind of like put your routine and, and all your own stuff aside i just feel like that has to be the mentality now going forward um, because of the, the realities of this season. And, and as much as the Jays have some reinforcements coming back in the form of, of Giles, potentially Pearson, um, Shoemaker, all those guys are making progress, they are still down. You know, Jordan Romano is not pitching for this team right now, probably not expecting him back this season. Um, if he does Seeming come back. more and more unlikely. Yeah, I think... Coming back. Yeah, it would have he to... He hasn't started throwing yet. we got two and a half weeks to playoffs. It's just not enough time, really. Yeah. I mean, maybe if like if they play deep into the playoffs, you never know. But even then, you know, that's a, it's a bit of a leap. So I don't think you're counting on him. And even with Giles, like, you've seen so many closers do the Andrew Miller thing where they end up, you know, coming in with uh, one out in the eighth and they just keep pitching or Jansen, those extended outings at times... I don't think Ken Giles is going to be positioned to do that at this point, just given the 
issues that he's had with his elbow. I know you're trying to win games, but you also owe it to this player who's on the brink of free agency to treat him with a certain amount of caution. And so I don't think you can be asking Ken Giles to do, you know, 40 pitch outing over the course of two innings. Like, I think, I think pretty much he's got to be a one inning guy who, who doesn't pitch two games in a row. Like I, I, maybe I'm being overly cautious there, but I think it's, you're, you're pretty close to that. You have to be pretty close to that just out of respect for Ken Giles. Yeah. It, you know, John Gibbons used to call it abusing guys right yeah. in the bullpen <laughs> yeah. and like you like you bump up against it the blue jays right. have bumped up against it with like a lot of guys over this last little bit and but a lot of that's just their schedule right like they yeah. played a lot of games in not that many days and uh you know they as we have mentioned have starters that they aren't letting go very deep so they've got like they've had to use a lot of relievers but i mean i like anthony bass man like it was you know there was a while there he pitched like five times in eight days you know and they was like you, you like you could see it in the stuff right there was a decline in the stuff he got through his innings but you could see he was clearly not um at his best you can look it up on on fangrass you can look up like the pitcher usage you know last seven days man like sean reed foley's thrown 97 pitches hatch 58 merriweather 58 cole 58 K56, uh, Dolise 56, Yamaguchi 82, uh, Font 44, and he's on the IL. And that's part of what Tanner Roark is talking about, is that like bullpen's exhausted. Yeah. These guys are really tired. And it's part of what you're talking about, how about it's not sustainable over yeah. um, a full season. And it's also part of what you're talking about in that you want to do right by these guys and you don't want to impact their durability going forward, impact them you know, the next year. Like we've seen several times, you know, Ryan Tapera, look at what happened to his career after he logged some very heavy innings loads. You know, like, what are you going to say? He's pitching leverage for the Cubs. Yeah, Watch know. out. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Cubs games these days. But, uh, you know, we, we've seen it a few times, you know, in Toronto where guys just got, like, used a lot. And then, you know, the next season, they're not themselves anymore, man. Like, but, I don't know. Maybe part of that's just, like, being a reliever in baseball, right? It's a fine balance, man. Like, I don't know how you manage, like, the push-pull of that the Blue Jays are, are trying to right now. This off day couldn't have come at a better time, and the one after the Mets series couldn't have come at a better time. But uh, you know, from that point forward, the Blue Jays basically play in every day until they're not allowed to play anymore because they got beat or they won a championship. So it's going to continue to be something the Blue Jays are going to have to manage as they you know spin out this season. Totally, and I think if you get to the point, I mean, uh, if they have a week left in the season and they're four or five games up on the on the bottom on the number nine seed essentially on the team that's trying to claw its way into the playoffs i think at that point in time then you really maybe tanner roark will get his wish actually i mean at that point maybe maybe you let chase anderson tanner roark and taiwan walker have them go eight innings and then you really let the bullpen have a have a break at this point you're still trying to win games so I, i still think you have to be extremely cautious when it comes to third time through the order. You have to use your bullpen. It's there for a reason. Those guys are effective. You're straddling that line between, you know, what's just an occupational hazard of being a pitcher and what's too much. Um, but I think they're doing that right for now. They would love to get to the point that, you know, four or five days remaining in the season, each guy gets one tune-up outing, you know, let's say on the Friday or Saturday, and that's it. You just kind of rest them and you let the starting rotation at that point do its work. You got to think like if you can line things up the way you want to, you won't even have Ryu pitching in those last three, four days of the season, five days of the season anyway. And that's your one guy who really does log like a, a good amount of innings. That's the one guy that you feel comfortable letting, you know, get all the way through a lineup of the third time. So you're not even going to have him. So like, yeah, you might have to be like, all right, like, here you go, Tanner. <laughs> like, go yeah. get those outs, buddy. Like, the complete go, game. <laughs> go, hey, here you go, Diesel. Like, yeah. go show the manhood, right? Like, yeah. all those things that you're saying. Like, it's it's your time now. Uh, and then you might not be on the playoff roster. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. Who knows? Right? If I'm the Blue Jays, here's what I'm doing for the foreseeable future. I'm lining up Hunjin Ryu to pitch every five to six days. Like I'm not necessarily waiting for the rotation to take a full turn. This is what you paid the guy $20 million to do. Be here, be an ace, pitch every five days, give you really a good chance to win a game. Like we've seen how the schedule, you know, how the standings have turned very quickly. Like I don't think that the Blue Jays are at a point right now where they can really necessarily put things into cruise control by the end of the season. Like if, Things are crystallized, then fine. Definitely back off on Jin Ryu. But for the next, you know, week and a half, I am keeping him on an every five at most, every six day turn. 
Interesting. I like the sentiment. I think when with Ryu, just knowing how last year he was much more effective when he when he was on a six day rotation, had five days of rest. I would keep him on every six days, and even with that's you know if that means disrupting other guys in the rotation, totally fine. I agree that Ryu and getting Ryu into the game as much as he possibly can has to be a priority. He's been great. Just a, a great pickup, it looks like, for the Jays and a big reason they are where they are. So I, I would have him every six days, no matter what. Is That's kind of where I would land on Ryu. With Walker as well? Yeah. Why not? Right. I think he's their second best starter right now. So yeah. yeah, I'd keep Walker on that rotation as well. And then so somebody is going to suffer there, right? Like that means Robbie Ray not starting, yeah. Ross Stripling, no, we've already seen not starting. That might mean like Chase Anderson not getting starts. Like there's yeah. gonna be like there 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 are downstream effects to that. Yeah. And I think you live with that. I think that's totally fine. If the Blue Jays were to go, I and this isn't like I, I wonder where you land on this because it's not clear to me who the Blue Jays third starter would be you know behind behind I assume Walker's kind of the two yeah maybe it's Roark Shoemaker I don't think would be stretched out enough um so I don't think it's him so it's Roark or Anderson I guess Um, Shoemaker in relief is going to be a weird thing too I'm not I don't even know what to expect from that like you can kind of see what to expect from Nate Pearson but like with Shoemaker like I've never when's the last time that guy ever pitched in relief Right. No, it's got to be a while. Um, and they already have, I mean, they already have Shun Yamaguchi stretched out to give you bulk innings in, in that role. So, yeah, it, it, it is unclear. Obviously, a lot of unanswered questions, but that's why, that's one of the reasons I would kind of go, if you don't have a clear number three, then to me, I would go, you know, Ryu, then Walker, and then bullpen game. And not necessarily in that order, but I just think that's the, I think that's the way to go with this composition of this staff. I would also approach the bullpen in such a way that like if I have a seventh inning situation um, that Ken Giles matches up really well with and it's like a one run lead or a one run deficit, I'm throwing Ken Giles. Like forget saving him for the ninth. Like I'm also not having a closer going forward because you know the Bass can do it. You know, like I, I don't know. I if if I if there's like two really good lefties coming in uh, in the ninth, I'd throw Baraki in that spot, man. Like sure, there are guys on this roster that you know can do it. Dolis yeah. can absolutely do it. It'll take an hour, but he'll absolutely do yeah. it. So, like, I going forward will just play bullpen by matchups and not yeah. necessarily have roles, which, like, obviously, relievers are going to hate that just as like Tanner Roark and Taiwan Walker, like, hate that they don't see a lineup the third time through. But it's just the way that I would manage it if I were running that bench. Yeah, and these guys want to win. I think the relievers will will get it. I don't think that'll be an issue. It's it's amazing. I mean, you look at Baraki, and and he was rested in his most recent appearance, which was Wednesday night. He comes out throwing ninety seven inside to Brett Gardner. I mean, it's yeah. this stuff is impressive. I guess, and he's absolutely going to be pitching in leverage. There's no question about that. But you know, I, I do. I have a little bit of pause with him, just with the command doesn't seem to be there, especially with some of his breaking stuff. It's like. He's walking too many guys. The pitch is up. No one's connecting with him. So, I mean, those are kind of the base runners he's giving up. But I'm not, like, as much as he can be a dominant pitcher, there's still some reservation there. You know, if you were to bring him into a situation with base runners, for example, is he going to walk the bases full? Is he going to walk a run in? Those questions would come up for me. I just think about, um, like, who else would be kind of like your big lefty matchup? Right. Okay. Right. But you're kind of saving yeah. K for more extended outings. Down the stretch, it's a little different, right? Maybe K can come in and just face a couple hitters, right? But like I, you know, when I think about like, all right, big lefty back coming up, Ryan Brook is kind of my guy in this bullpen. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think you know, you compare him to you know Aaron Loop is still pitching and still going with the Rays. It's like I'd way rather have Ryan Brook. You know, even yeah. if Loop's not going to walk guys and Loop hits guys, so it's kind of the same thing. But they're different styles, obviously, and different looks as for, for the hitters they're facing. But I think Brucky, all things considered, you, you love what he's giving you. It's just, you know, it's not quite a totally finished product, I don't think. Last point I want to make this week on uh, at the letters is uh, I hope that everybody is like enjoying what's happening right now. The Toronto Blue Jays, like as family, because you know, look, we get into the weeds of everything, and you know, like you know, nitpick at the batting order, you know, like bullpen usage, and this and that, and like Tanner Roark's unhappy, and, da, 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 and injuries, whatever. But like the Toronto Blue Jays are in second place in the American League East, and the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be a playoff team. Um, like they are actually right now, not just like 
contending for the playoffs. They're like competing for a better first round, like a more favorable first round matchup. Like that's the the air that they are breathing right now. Last year, this team lost ninety games. Uh, you know, the year before, this team lost almost ninety games. Like this is the this is the good stuff. Like this is what you enjoy. As a fan, like the Blue Jays are a playoff team playing meaningful games like here in the middle of September with like two and a half weeks left in the season. This is it, you know, and you, you hope that it's going to be better, obviously, as a Blue Jays fan. Like you, like you hope that, you know, Jordan Groshans and, and Alejandro Kirk are going to, you know, show up and, and like, you know, bolster the, stir this lineup like further and that the Blue Jays are going to be a sustainable winner going on. But like right now you have like a playoff team, you have winning baseball being played, exciting baseball being played a team that like i think you can as a, just looking at it from a fan's perspective you can really easily get behind when you look at you know some of the personalities and some of the like ways that they're winning games and the deficits that they're overcoming and i hope that like fans aren't getting too like bogged down into the weeds of like oh i can't believe charlie did that or like oh my god like you know they're bringing in this guy in this spot like your team is winning this is the enjoyable part of it and in you know a month from now you're probably not going to have it <laughs> yeah so i would say like this is a you know you, you need to be enjoying this right now great point great point i think when you kind of zoom out and you think about where were the blue jays expected to be or where were they last year and then now here they are just laying waste to the red Sox and yankees <laughs> yeah. you know and fisher gives this one a ride right center field and he's hit it out Just right. totally out like they're way better than the Red Sox. They're just their pitching is just so much better than the Red Sox. And they are I mean, they're they're have a better record than the Yankees. They're winning games against the Yankees. The idea, you know, even a couple weeks ago, oh man, they're gonna have to play the Yankees ten times. Like that's gonna that's gonna really shake the Jays to their core. Well, now they're two and one. You know, they still have more games to go, but it's certainly not this like this behemoth that they couldn't possibly beat. I mean, they're they're playing competitive baseball against them. So definitely good point to kind of reset and appreciate that because you know, when you think about next year, who knows what the playoff situation is like, right? If you have to be a top five team in the American League again, as it's been for the last, you know, seven or eight years, that's a much bigger challenge. And it might be one that that's out of the Blue Jays' reach, depending on how the season goes. Um we're seeing a team right now that's going to be in the playoffs that leads to some really fun conversations. Like I, I enjoy the, the, you know, debate around who should be on, on the playoff roster, who, who should they start in game two? That stuff is really fun. I hope the fans can, you know, find their own um, questions to kind of grapple with in the course of the next couple of weeks. Cause it will go fast too. I mean, once that series starts, it's going to go by really quick. So it's definitely a good chance to kind of enjoy and just say, all right, this is this is a weird, weird season. They're they're making mistakes, but it's at the same time they're winning way more games than they're losing. Yeah, look at like the conversations that we're having right now about playoff rosters, right? But yeah. how are you going to set up the rotation and like you know what's the batting line order going to look like in the playoffs? Yeah. Last September 10th, TJ <laughs> Zoik started for the Toronto Blue Jays and went four and a third and gave way to Buddy Bo Shears and Justin Schaefer. And then Derek Law and Tim Meza. Uh, yeah. you know, the, the day after that, Wilmer Font started the game and threw two innings and gave way to Trent Thornton, who all of a sudden had to pitch behind an opener, uh, and then gave way to Jason Adam and uh, and Ryan Tapera. I mean, like you just go through the game logs, man. Last September fourteenth, Jacob Wagespack started, went three and two thirds, gave up three runs, gave way to Brock Stewart, who gave up six over two innings pitched. What were we talking about? Last September, none of these things that we're talking about now. So, like, well, whatever, you know, I, I'm not gonna tell anybody how to enjoy anything. Like, enjoy things however you want, man. Like, you're your own person. Like, you know, just like consume things however you want, whatever makes you happy. But like, I do. It is nice to kind of like zoom out every once in a while and be like, hey, like, <laughs> Blue Jays are a playoff team. Just a year ago, things did not look quite as as rosy or favorable as they do now. Jason Adam also pitching leverage innings for the Cubs, by the way. They're just picking up those scraps off the Jays reliever bin. Um, I wrote this like high spin fastball thing like a week ago. And Jason Adam's like a top 10 fastball spin rate guy. 
in baseball, wow. which I like, I don't know. Maybe it dawned on me last year and I forgot about it. Then I was like, Oh, this is why the blue Jays like this guy. Like, this is why they kept giving him opportunities and why they like brought him in because super high spin fastball guy. The blue Jays clearly like that. Look at Thomas Hatch. Look at Joey Murray. You know, like these are high spin fastball. I think Robbie Ray or maybe Stripling, one of those guys is a high spin fastball guy too. So that's like an interesting little like trait that the blue Jays are clearly looking for in acquisitions but go ahead sorry no totally i think i think you're right and i think you know when when it comes to you know enjoying it of course people have to make their own their own choices there and it's not to say that the blue jays are playing perfect baseball their base running has been extremely frustrating to watch at times like really it has and i think also you know it's not to say that Charlie Montoyo, who, by the way, is probably going to win manager of the year. Like, let's, let's, he's going to. He's going to. Now, do I think that he is necessarily the best manager in the league? You know, we'll save that for another podcast. But I, I think he's going to win manager of the year. And, it, yep. and yet, he has made decisions that we've talked about, whether it's you know, Biggio hitting eighth or Teoscar Hernandez hitting eighth. I mean, those, are, those, in my opinion, are the wrong decision. But he has big picture, kept this team in it. And yet, if you want to look at those decisions closely and second-guess them, that's fun. Part of being a, a sports fan is second-guessing the coach and manager. So great. Go for it. I mean, that's, that's fun too. But, but yeah, don't lose sight of the fact that this team is winning a lot of games. You like blew my mind when you texted me that uh, yeah. like a week ago or something. Like Charlie Montoya's going to win manager of the year. I was like, wow, you're so right. He is. Like, you are absolutely right. Yeah. But it all, if anything, like, and this is a whole other discussion, but like, it just kind of exposes the flaw of that award. And the flaw of us as baseball writers voting on that award. Because I don't like I don't watch every team as closely as I watch the Blue Jays. I've seen every single one of Charlie Montoyo's decisions this yep. year. I've looked at every lineup, I've looked at every bunt, every pinch hit spot, every pinch run, every bullpen like game, everything. I've seen it all, but nowhere even close to that on at any but pick another al manager of any other guy in the al so like if i had to vote on that award which i don't like i got cy young this year man like that's easy like, yeah, thank yeah. you i could do that right but like having to vote on like who's been the best manager i have no clue as a baseball writer i have no it, idea even like there you know i i even don't get to see like 92 percent of what charlie montoyo does in a day right like we talk to him every day and we get to see him like, you know, call manage a game. But so much of being a manager is what happens in the clubhouse behind closed doors and in meetings and, you know, just handling personalities and players. So none of us really have a good grasp on who a good manager is. We really don't like it's I understand the historical significance of the award of the award. And so I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. But to me, it's almost like it's kind of a step away from us voting for like bench coach of the year or bullpen <laughs> coach of the year. You know, like if, if someone gave me a ballot for bullpen coach of the year, I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know what they do. Right. I don't observe what they do on a daily basis. Like they obviously have a lot of responsibilities. They have a lot of work. They have to work with pitchers. Charlie has a lot of responsibilities. It is not an easy job. I can tell you that much about, about being a manager. It is a very difficult taxing multi faceted job that you require a ton of skills and experiences for but i it's hard to assess one against the other from afar it really is yeah like i don't know what ron gardenhire's in-game decision making has has been like you know right. like, yeah. I, I haven't you know I, I watched the angels at the beginning of the season because they're an interesting team with interesting players and they fell off the yeah. map i don't know yeah. maybe joe madden's making amazing in-game decisions but you know it, like for whatever reason like they're just losing all the time right like right. it's the obvious thing that like everybody does is just look at okay expectations versus outcomes right what did you expect this team to do and then what was the outcomes nobody expected the Blue Jays to be a playoff team. I didn't. Uh, nobody expected them to do particularly well in this season when they didn't have a home at all for the first yeah. few weeks. <laughs> then ended up playing in a AAA ballpark the players were all salty about, right? Yeah. And then they're going to look at the record and be like, wow, like this is great. But, you know, if the fact that the Blue Jays have gotten like really good performances from, you know, Thomas Hatch and Merriweather and, and et cetera, you know, Teoscar Hernandez and Tellez, like, is that not more of a credit to the front office the last thing we need to do in baseball is like you know dfi front offices any more than we do but like is that is that not more of a credit to like player acquisition right and to yeah. getting getting thomas hatch for uh for a david phelps right and for trading for teoscar hernandez and sticking with him when it looked pretty grim 
with him and when he was getting like demoted and when he wasn't doing well and saying, no, there's something here. This guy's going to put it together. We believe in the player. Is that a more of a credit to like player development and to, you know, your pitching coaches for, for the, the pitchers, right. Who brought Thomas Hatch in and were like, why aren't you throwing a change up? Throw your change up more, man. Like, you know, you know, Shun Yamaguchi who in his first two outings is like a disaster. And then, you know, Pete and Matt Bushman start working with him more. And it's all of a sudden he turns it around because he's using his stuff differently and attacking different quadrants of the zone. Like I just think the award itself is just completely antiquated. Shocking that the BBWAA would be accused of <laughs> of being <laughs> out of out of touch with maybe the the modern uh, baseball climate but uh, again a topic for another another podcast Maybe i don't want to get myself in trouble here i know should it be like the like organizational award or something like i don't know what to call sure. it it's like i don't want to say like you know best gm yeah. or like best front office like the yankees for taking geo or and turning him into what they turned him into right like yeah. there there should be an award for that for like really wise like waiver wire pickups and you know get minor league free agents in the off season who turn in, yep. turn into something and like you know guys who um you know you stuck with organizationally like in the you know the hernandez uh you know instance you know even like richuk right like having given him that extension looks fine now right oh, like yeah. when the blue jays first gave it to him it was like but now it's like great there's got you know for for those things there's got to be an award but i don't even know who you assign it to because like modern mld franchises it's not just like one guy with you know 29 media guides like oh what about this guy like it's so there's so many people who are involved in that so i don't i wouldn't even know like what to call the award but that's what i think it should move towards rather than manager of the year yeah or even it could just be as simple as all right, like there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes. It's all super important, but maybe we'll just add reliever of the year because relievers are, you know, becoming a more and more important part of the game. Let's vote on the best reliever in baseball and just have that be a separate thing from Cy Young. You know, just throwing yeah. something out there for argument's sake. No, let's get Liam Hendricks an award. That's uh, sure. That's what we need to do. He's been awesome. Speaking of former Jays relievers, watch out for Liam Hendricks over the last two seasons. No, oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, yeah. That's not the letters. <laughs> Mine are <is>. swelling. <laughs> That's Ben Nicholson Smith. Uh, our producers are Mike Tassoni and Christian Ryan. Talk to you next week on At the Letters. <laughs> <laughs>